Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Koinonia Church Message Library. Our hope is that today's message encourages you, challenges you, and brings you closer to Jesus. We are confident that God's Word is living and active and is relevant for us today. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the message. All right. Hello, everyone. Or should I say, hey, neighbor? <laughs> Turn to someone around you and just say that. It's just fun to say, hey, neighbor. <laughs> We're starting a new series today, and I think it's going to be great. It's, it's a good one for summertime because we're hanging out. Has anyone said hey to a, like an actual neighbor in the neighborhood recently? Hopefully you have. That's good. Or a, you know, building mate or whatever. Um, but hey, neighbor. We're going to be talking about loving our neighbors, and we're going to get practical about it. You know, I think we need to stretch our muscles. We have been, right, lately stretching our social muscles again. That's good. How are they doing? <laughs> you know, we, we got to, yeah, know how to love one another well, love people. And so we're going to get practical about that. What does that look like? What does it mean to love my neighbor? Um, what, what do I do? Let's, let's get practical about it. How much does it cost? What are the questions that you have about loving your neighbor? But first, I think the first question is, who is my neighbor? Does that sound like a familiar question? It might because someone asked Jesus that question. And so I'm going to start with there because that was in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. A religious expert asked Jesus this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Just your average everyday question. <laughs> you know, no big deal. And Jesus said to him, what does the law say? Because he knew that this man knew the law. And so he was at, put the question back to him. Well, what does the law say? And so the man said, well, it says in verse 27, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. That sounds pretty all in to me. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But this man wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? I think he was feeling like, oh, yeah, well, I hang out with my friends and my family and people who are like me, so is that good? And Jesus uh, answered the question with a story, a parable of a good Samaritan. You may have heard that before. The Good Samaritan, is. this is how the story goes, a Jewish man was beat up and left for dead on the side of the road. And a few other people came by, people you would think would stop to help, people you would think would be a good neighbor to stop and help this man, a Jewish priest, a Levite, people who were like him, the people you think should take care of him. And they turned, a, they literally saw him and turned and walked across the road and crossed on the other side of the street. They made a wide path around this man who they should have helped. But a Samaritan man came by. Samaritans were basically this man's enemy. They were not seen together. They would not go in the same social circles. This was not someone that you would think should stop. If anyone should have passed him by, it should be the Samaritan. And yet the Samaritan man came to him, bandaged him up, put him on his own donkey, and took him to the nearest inn and paid for his stay, plus any extra expenses that he would incur. Wow. 
Jesus asked the man, which one was his neighbor? And the expert said, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. So according to Jesus, my neighbor is not simply the ones who live near me or the people who look like me or the people who talk and act like me and the people who know what I know and the people who I feel comfortable with. But my neighbor is even my enemy that I would show love and mercy and kindness. Wow. I don't know about you, but that challenges me. You know, when I see the cute screen about, hey, neighbor, and think about just, you know, a fun time in the, with the neighbors, I'm not thinking necessarily about what Jesus said and who Jesus said was my neighbor. But I'm going to challenge us this morning because I have been challenged as I've been preparing this message. But we do want to get practical about loving our neighbors, those here with us and those that we may not, those strangers we may come across. How do we love well? Romans chapter 12 is kind of our focus scripture for this series, the practical how-to list on how to love, putting love in action. One of the, the translations has that heading, love in action. I love that phrase. Not just thinking about loving others, not just talking about loving others, but actually doing it. How do we do it? But Romans 12 begins like this, Romans 12.1, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, there's that word again, mercy, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I love that phrase, in view of God's mercy. Let's not forget that we were the ones left for dead on the side of the road. And God in his great mercy stepped into our world in the person of Jesus, God in the flesh, came to dwell among us to show us his love, to show us his compassion, to show his, his kindness to us. He showed us his mercy. He took our place on the cross, the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate show of unconditional love. None of us were worthy, not one. And God in his great mercy loves us, loved us. That's the kind of love that we're talking about. So in light of that great mercy, we give ourselves completely to God to be transformed, to be like him. This is our act of worship, that he has given it all for us. And so we give it all for him, to love him and to love others all in. It changes how we live when we understand the great mercy we've been shown. Romans 12 goes on to say that we've been given gifts to serve one another, so we should use them to serve one another. And I'm not going to read the whole chapter today, but that is a great chapter to read in preparation for this month of messages. But Romans 12:13 is the one that I get to share about today, and this is what it says in the NIV. It says, "Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality." In the NLT, it says, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. And I do love Eugene Peterson in the message, excuse me, translation or version. It says, be inventive in hospitality. I love that word, inventive. See, practice hospitality. 
practice hospitality. That's what we're going to talk about today. What is hospitality and how do we practice it? The word practice here is in Greek is diokontes, which means to pursue. So that word suggests intention. It suggests effort. It suggests um, passion. It suggests that eagerness, be eager to practice hospitality. It, it suggests inventiveness, thoughtfulness, pursue, pursue hospitality. And hospitality, in its definition here, it means love to strangers. Wow. So when is the last time, based on that definition, that you practiced hospitality? See, because when I used to read this, practice hospitality, I thought it meant, like, be really great at throwing a dinner party or, you know, having a party or having a good barbecue with your friends. Or <laughs> but really, I think what we're seeing here is it does say share with the Lord's people who are in need. So there's an element of us together, God's people sharing with one another. But practice hospitality also means to the stranger, to those who you have, you know, from out off the street, that people would be welcomed in. It's not a bad thing to be able to throw a good dinner party, and I will get to that. But the heart of the meaning is to take care of people in need, even strangers, on purpose and as a lifestyle. As a, it is my practice. This is what I do. It is part of my life. It is my practice to show hospitality. This brings me to the table. Do you like it? Nice. Nice table just a humble table and it but this humble table represents so much more than just a place to eat food at how many of you have eaten a meal at a table already today some of you have how many of you probably will at some point today eat a meal at a table there is nothing there are very few things in this life that we do every day for the rest of our lives <laughs> And eating and drinking is one of those things that we do every day. You could say, it is my practice to eat food. I am, in, I am eager to participate in the eating of food. I am pursuing food. <laughs> I am inventive in going after this pursuit of eating and, and drinking. Anyone else? I love it. It is something that we do every day. And I just love that. Jesus was about it too. I listened to this great message this week by John Mark Comer, a pastor out of Portland, Oregon, and he was talking about the practice of hospitality. And he was pointing out, he showed in the book of Luke, all the moments when Jesus is either, and in the book of Luke, Jesus is basically either coming from a meal, eating a meal, or going to a meal, or talking about eating a meal. This is the list I'll show you. Well, in Luke chapter 2, Jesus was placed as a baby in a feeding trough. So there starts it off. <laughs> um, in, in chapter 5, he had dinner at Matthew or Levi, Levi's house. In chapter 7, he had dinner at Simon the Pharisee's house. In chapter 9, he was feeding the 5,000. No big deal. In chapter 10, he was with Mary and Martha. In chapter 11, he had dinner with Pharisees. In chapter 14, he was talking about when you throw a party, this is who you should invite because he was at the home of a different Pharisee, and I will get to that in a minute. In 15, the prodigal son comes home and they throw a feast. 
In chapter 16 is the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. In chapter 19, he invites himself over to Zacchaeus's house. Hello. In chapter 22, the Last Supper. In chapter 34, the road to Emmaus with his disciples. Pretty much the whole book, Jesus is going to a meal, having a meal, or coming from a meal, or talking about having a meal. So it seemed to me that having a meal and sharing a meal with someone is not was not peripheral to Jesus' ministry, but in fact, it was central to how he showed the love of God to others. Wow. John Mark Comer said in his message, if Jesus had a method of evangelism, the best I can tell, it's to open your home, invite yourself over, talk and ask questions, and really listen and love people. Doesn't that simplify things a bit, though? We eat every day. We come to the table every day. How could we and who could we invite to join us? How could we show hospitality to others? Because Jesus, think about this, he ate with the elite of the religious world. He ate with Pharisees. He ate with prominent people and important people in their social status. He also ate with the lowest on the moral ladder at the time. He ate with tax collectors notorious thieves. These people had their own group of people because they were hated by almost everyone else. He he ate and welcomed the prostitutes to sit and eat with him at the table. This was not done. This was not the practice. This was not something that rabbis would have done because early Jews, they understood the, the, the Benefit and the beauty of eating and sharing a meal with one another. But they did it with their own people. They wouldn't have even waved at a sinner across the street. That's why that Good Samaritan passage is so profound for them. They wouldn't have even waved, let alone dine with, let alone welcome into their home. Wow. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus was at the home of a prominent Pharisee for dinner, and he noticed how everyone in the room was trying to kind of clamor for the seats of honor near the host. I don't know what the seats of honor meant, but that's what they were doing. He could just see, he could feel in the room that they were like shuffling to try and be the most important. He could feel it, he could tell. And he's standing there in this place, and you know what he says? He says this He said this to the host. When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This passage challenges me. It challenges my selfish motives, and that's what he was doing. He wasn't saying, well, first of all, remember this, that the the crippled, the blind, and the lame, at that time in history, they were assumed by the Jews to have had sin in their own sin or in their family. That's what caused that. So it wasn't just that they had a disability that these people would avoid them. It was because they assumed that it was because of sin. And so they, they were also on the lower end of the moral ladder, according to those people at the time. So they were really trying to protect their social status. 
to invite someone over like that to do what Jesus was doing, eating with those thought to be immoral, dirty, stained, worthless, why would they do that? That would that wouldn't gain them any good reputation. In fact, that would ruin the good reputation they were working so hard to have and to protect and to maintain. And Jesus came in, humble, of no reputation. He had all the reasons to to show off his status, and he laid it all down. And he was not impressed with their, you know, pious religious mentality and what they had accomplished any more than he was disgusted by the thieves and the prostitutes. That was not, did not matter to him. That was not how he lived his life. He, he showed them all that there was a place at the table that they were welcome to come and dine with him. That is how he showed hospitality. He came. He was, he was turning things upside down again, just as he always did. He wasn't saying, don't ever eat with your family, and don't ever eat with your friends, and don't ever have a birthday party and invite them over. But he was challenging their selfish motives to find their way to the top and to isolate and exclude everyone else. And he was saying, that is not the way of God's kingdom, to isolate and exclude. God's kingdom is an open door to welcome in all. It is good. That's the gospel right there. God, Jesus came to show God's love to sinners. Thank you, Jesus. And he did this by sharing meals with them. He was present at the table, listening and loving them, communicating value. He fed people. He went to people in need, and he showed them mercy. He modeled true hospitality. And I want to live like Jesus lived. I spoke with my grandma this week. She just turned 85 this past week, and she is an example to me, a great example to me of someone who understood showing hospitality because she and my grandpa, she said, yeah, we were in agreement that we wanted to live with an open-door policy, and we wanted to invite people into our home and at our table, and they had six kids. Like, she had enough people to feed. Now, I, I only have three <laughs> And just to have, just, I just wanted to say, when I was in worship and I was just thinking about all the people and parents behind me also juggling kids during worship, like, good job, parents, for leading, and I feel like we are leading, you're leading worship, these guys were leading worship up here, up here, and we were leading worship down there with our kids, like, come on, <laughs> let's do this, do this together. I don't know where I was, but I just wanted to encourage you parents, if you're holding one in one arm and trying to worship God, like keep doing it because we are leading the way. Amen. It is good. Anyways, I spoke to my grandma, right? She had six kids, not three. Wow. And still invited people in. And they didn't know who my, my dad would say, oh yeah, there are always strangers around the table. We didn't know who was coming home for dinner. But she, my grandma said she learned it from her dad. He would just invite people in, and her mom never knew who was coming over for dinner, but there was always extra, and they always made it work because people were welcome around the table. Wow. I, I, story after story. I probably could have talked to her at least an hour, and she wouldn't have come to the end of the stories that she had because she had stories of people like, oh, yeah, Heidi, I just remember there was this one woman who was working with the Salvation Army, and everyone kind of thought she was a little strange, but we borrowed something from the Salvation Army, and she came to our house to pick it up to take it back, and I said, want to come in for tea? 
and I invited her in, and we had the loveliest time. And I thought, oh, so cool. And then there were other people who, she said there was this elderly woman that people would pass by, and no one would invite her in. But they decided, you know what, let's invite her for dinner. And they invited her in, and that woman left and left them a Pentecostal handshake with $20 in it, which at the time was a lot of money. And Sorry, do you know what that is, Pentecostal handshake? Oh, it's when you stick cash in your hand, and then you, like, just discreetly pass it to the person that you shake with. This is the thing, isn't it? Let's bring it back. We're bringing back the Pentecostal handshake. You stick $20 in your hand, you give a shake. It's good. Anyways, she left them $20. They were blessed. And she, she thinks sometimes, you know the scripture where it says, you might be, you know, unknowingly entertaining angels? She thinks sometimes, I wonder. I wonder if that's the way that God was trying to bless us through that angel woman that everyone else was overlooking and rejecting. But my, my grandparents were just never, they were humble people and never too good to just open up their home and open up their table to anyone. It's beautiful. That challenges me. That challenges me to think, who is welcome at my table? Because I want to live like Jesus. There's a difference between hospitality and entertaining. There's magazines galore about entertaining. I am, I love Pinterest and all the beautiful things. And I, I, and I genuinely do love to make things beautiful. I love to set a good table and I more care about the decor than the food, to be honest. Um, that's my thing. I love it. I just love that part. And I don't think that's wrong, but if I'm not careful, I could get so hung up in making so many excuses for why my home is not good enough or my stuff is not good enough. And I will show you a case in point. Maybe it's been bugging you that this chair is not matching the others. Ah, <laughs> oh, I know. It would bug me too. But just so you know, I know. I know. Just pointing that out for all the uh, OCD people <laughs> in the room. But this chair came from my house. Do you notice anything wrong with it? It's beautiful. Thank you. No, it's really not. And when I look at this chair, I have two of these. There are two chairs that had arms. And this chair and the other chair have both lost one arm. Poor chair. And not to mention the screw is still sticking out, which is really safe when you have little kids in your house. But don't know what to do about that. So if there's any woodworkers in the room, we, would, we have a chair for you to fix. But... I, we bought these chairs a long time ago, and I repainted them, and now if you come up close, I'll leave it here as a specimen for you to examine later so you feel better about your own house. But the chip, they are so chipped. This isn't even the worst one, but they're chipped everywhere, and you do not even want to know. You don't even want to know the crumbs that are inside this chair permanently. They're never coming out. And it's bad. It's really bad. Look at how stained it is. Can you see that? From there, I don't know, but it's pretty stained. But you know what? When I look at my chairs, and we're doing a big renovation right now, and we were joking, Bryce is like, oh, you know, maybe we don't have to get new chairs right away. Like, they could come, you know, we can, you know, store them. And then I was like, those chairs aren't coming back in this house. (laughs) Uh Uh-uh. But practically speaking, when you have little kids, having uh, fabric chairs is just a bad idea. But anyways, here we are. We have these beautiful chairs, 
And I, when I look at these chairs, it can be so easy for me to just see all the problems with them and just be embarrassed, like, oh, sorry, here's the chair. Oh, sorry, yeah, the arm's missing. I have to get all these disclaimers before anyone sits in my chair. Don't, careful, yeah, there's an arm missing. And careful, sorry about the stains. Oh, and sorry about the, yeah. And this isn't even the worst one because there's uh, high chair or booster seats on two of them. Woo! Don't take those booster seats off ever at my house, okay? Unless you want to feel good about yourself. You know, I look at all the pictures of all the beautiful, you know, string lights in a backyard with like the gauzy tent and the people perfectly dressed and a beautiful charcuterie board. And I'm like, oh, how beautiful is that? And if I'm not careful, I can look at my own stuff and think, oh, so shabby. And oh, I don't, I don't, it's what I have isn't good enough. Or I don't have enough to feed pe- that many people. Or I can't, you know, my kids aren't well behaved enough and they're picky eaters. So what if we go to someone's house and they don't eat? And these are real things we think through, aren't they? But you know what? This chair has seen some awesome fellowship at my house. Because I also have invited people in, and I'm glad, and I'm thankful that these chairs have seen, seen lots of great conversations with people, laughs have been had, tears have been shed, and it has been, I, I have to remember that even if these chairs come back into my house, and even if these are the only chairs I own for the rest of my life, they are enough for true hospitality to happen. They are enough. They are. I do not have to have the best of the best for true hospitality to show love and kindness and to help meet people's needs and to open up my home and open up my table for people. That is what Jesus did. It was not about that. See, you'll always have an excuse. The people you think don't have excuses or shouldn't have excuses, they have excuses. Oh, I don't have time for that or when would that happen and making plans is hard, and I'm not just really into that, and I don't know, and what if, you know, what if I invite some stranger in, and they're like, it's not safe. This is a real thing we think about. We have to have wisdom, of course, but let's still live like Jesus and trust that God can help us to do that, because entertaining is about performance. It's about me trying to show something off. It's about my reputation as a host. Entertaining is exclusive. Who made it on the guest list? But hospitality is about generosity. Hospitality is about selflessness. And hospitality is about inclusion. So, how do I practice hospitality? Do you like our graphic back here? Does anyone know who that is? Some of you, come on. Some of you know. Do you know? Wilson! This is Wilson from Home Improvement. Did anybody watch that show? <laughs> Had a big crush on Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Anyone else? <laughs> oh, man. You know you did. So Wilson lived next to the Taylor family, and they would go out and chat in the backyard. And the funny thing is, is like you never saw his face until the finale episode. He showed his face. But the entire thing, that was like his thing. He just talked to them from over the fence. Hey, neighbor. And... But he was like a sage, you know, giving wise advice. He probably saved their marriage many times, Wilson. And, uh, but you know, this is just the start. Hey, neighbor. Because hospitality takes initiative. It takes a step forward. It takes a, hey, neighbor. 
Hi. Hello. Hola. Can you say hello in your first language? Go ahead. There are many ways to say hello. To wave, to smile. That's the first step. Not just, not just you know, driving into your neighborhood, parking into your garage and closing the door and hoping no one sees you, you know. Suburbia has not been helpful for hospitality. <laughs> but we need to first say, hey. I have people who live across the street and they are always outside drinking a beer and having a smoke every single day, every single day out in their driveway, every single day. And there were many days I would like drive by and be like, oh, yeah, you know, didn't, almost didn't even acknowledge them. And I remember the day I was like, it's kind of awkward to come outside and like not say anything. But I remember the day I was like, I'm saying hi every single time, every single time, without fail. And now I do. Hey, how's it going? And then, then, it, then, then it turns into something more. See, taking initiative is the first step because then it turns into more. Going off and, oh, yeah, hey, how's it going? How's, you know, what's going on in your world? And just having a conversation. But taking initiative and saying hi is the first step. And sometimes we don't even want to walk across the foyer to have that awkward, like, hi, neighbor, with someone we come to church with. So anyone like me feel like those initial, like, taking initiative is hard? Anybody? Okay. I see those hands. And I'm going to reward a few lucky people. And I'm going to make it easier for you today to take initiative out in the foyer, okay? I don't want, okay, sorry about the people who have no problem saying hi to people. I don't want to give it to you, okay? (laughs) I'm specifically looking for people like me. Because there was also a day I remember feeling like as a, as a young teen, if there's teens in the room, if you're like, oh, awkward conversation, like small talk, what are people talking about? I don't know what to say. I finally, one day I remember going, I, I want to love people and I want to live like Jesus and fine, I'm going to let it be awkward. I'm going to be awkward. They're going to be awkward. We're both going to be awkward. It's going to be great. And I don't care. I am embracing the awkward. So let's say it together. Embrace the awkward. Okay, embrace the awkward. you got to embrace the awkward. That's how it begins. But then it becomes your practice. The more you embrace the awkward, the more you're like, I could go up and say hi, no problem, because you've done it for years. Some of you may have started like me, and now you're like, oh, it's not really a big deal anymore. But back to what I'm holding in my hand. I have a free drink to the cafe, okay? And I'm willing to give three lucky people two of them, one for you, and one for someone you don't know who you will say hi to in the foyer after this. So, who wants them? <sighs> I do realize I'm... <laughs> Val, sit down. Okay. I do realize that I am speaking to the people who do not want to come up here and get them. So... I'm in a bit of, maybe I should just get a, give a Pentecostal handshake. Okay, Nathan, Nathan, you give a Pentecostal handshake to someone you think has trouble with this. This is all very awkward, isn't it? This is all very awkward, but, okay, Bryce, you can do it. Okay, and Val, you go give the Pentecostal handshake. You go give it to someone. Bryce, please help me. Help me, honey. Thank you. Val, Pentecostal handshake someone. No, Val. You can't keep one. Okay, and maybe I'll Pentecostal handshake someone in the foyer later. Okay. Do it now. 
Yeah, point them out in the front of the whole room. <laughs> I'm sorry, but not. I'm sorry, but not. I'll keep going so no one has to notice. Okay, so take initiative. No one looking around, okay? Take initiative. <laughs> Say hi. Meet people. This is the best place to practice. We have this stunning foyer, a cafe. It's all here on purpose. It's not just for show and for us to, like, be cozy. Start here. Meet people. Walk across the room and say, hey, neighbor. Okay? Good. Because the next thing is you got to extend an invitation. You thought I was going to stop there? Oh, no, no. Your comfort zone is about to explode, people. Extend an invitation. My husband, Bryce, is amazing at inviting people and making plans for people to come over. He's always thinking, like, who could we have over? Who could we have over? This is why we're doing a renovation and an addition at our house, so that there is more space to have more people, because that's, it is, it has become our practice, but I'm the one with the excuses, so I don't know why I'm the one speaking this message, but <laughs> anyways, here we are. <laughs> but I'm the one with the excuses, like, oh, and he's like, I have cooked more meals that I was like, I don't know how to feed that many people. Oh, my pro tip, though, if you're having people over, is taco bowls. That is my pro tip. They feed so many people. They can be gluten-free. They can be dairy-free. They're nice and filling. It's not that expensive, and they feed a lot of people. Write it down. Taco bowls. Anyways, he's amazing at it, and I'm thankful. I am thankful. Even in the moments when I'm like, no, uh, I don't know, ah, uh, excuses, and oh, I haven't cleaned the house, and oh, and, uh, and he's like, I'm like, oh, it's too last minute to invite someone. He's like, if someone invited you last minute, how would you feel? I'd be like, oh, I'd be pretty honored. Right. Oh, okay, I'll do it. But he's amazing at it, and I'm so thankful because he will say, there is just no substitute for having someone in your home, seeing how you live, and experiencing your life through your eyes in your house. That is how you share and show hospitality and share fellowship with people and build relationships and have friendships. It's, being, it's done house to house. It's done table to table. It really is. Because... You can have a great relationship with someone in passing at church, but until they've come into your home, you realize that's a whole other level of love, isn't it? To have someone in. And, but the gospel was spread house to house, home to home. In Acts chapter 2, they ate together with gladness and simplicity of heart. They were in each other's homes. They shared with one another what each other needed but they would have known what each other needed because it wasn't an awkward, hey, can you help me? It was like, oh, I see that you have need because I'm in your house. Right? Think about that. They were in each other's homes. That's how they, that's how they knew. They were in each other's lives. Pursue it. So if you, maybe you're, I'm going to point out another thing you may be guilty of because I totally am, which is, hey, we should have you guys over sometime. Anyone ever said that? Oh, yeah, we should totally get together. It'll be great. We should have your... Okay, so today's the day. You get out your phone and your calendar, and you say, I'm free. I'm free this afternoon. Anyone want to come? <laughs> Fellowship Sunday. We used to set one aside every month. Fellowship Sunday. And that was the day everyone knew someone was coming for lunch, and you invited someone over. I think we should bring that back. But you can do that any day. You can be like... Because I'm about to tell you the next point is this. Pursue it. So pursue it. Don't let it be an afterthought. Prioritize it. Put it in your budget. Put it in your calendar. Plan to show hospitality. It doesn't have to cost a lot or be fancy, but it happens on purpose. 
It has, happens on purpose. Jesus, like I said earlier, even invited himself over to Zacchaeus' house. Woo! Do we have the guts for that? I don't know if I do. I don't know if I do, but I'm saying that is what Jesus did. He said, hey, I'm coming over to your house today. <laughs> hey, that's, that's a good way for you to realize, yeah, was Zacchaeus like, my house isn't clean. No, he was like, okay. And after that, his, his life was totally, radically changed from that show of hospitality with Jesus. Completely radically changed. He went and he, in turn, went and was generous and gave back four times whatever he had stolen. Lives are changed around the table when we show hospitality. My last point is this, though. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. In Acts chapter 2, it says, They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. We need to recapture that simplicity. Maybe you need to turn off Pinterest for a while. Maybe you need to get rid of those magazines for a while. Maybe you need to look at your house and appreciate what you have. Instead of criticizing it. I'm so guilty of this. Look at what you have and appreciate the life that has been shared around your table. But even with your own family. See, my grandma said this. She used to just go down. She said, oh, we just, we just used to, I just used to go down to the cellar and get a can, a jar of tomatoes that I had canned. And I would just turn it into soup and serve it with toast. She's like... It wasn't about the food. It was about the fellowship. <laughs> I'll say that again. It wasn't about the food. It was about the fellowship. Wow. I said, thank you, Grandma. You just wrapped up my message in a nice bow. But that's it. That's it. Simplicity. It doesn't have to be a fancy table. It doesn't even have to be your own table. Find a picnic table. Go to a Tim Hortons table. Pull up a blanket on the ground. Whatever it is. But find one and invite someone to join you at the table. And be present there. Who knows what conversations will happen? Who knows what lives will be changed? Who knows how the gospel could spread? House to house, home to home. Jesus gathered his friends around a table, nearing the end of his life. We call it the Lord's table. And Jesus gathered them around, and he took the bread, and he broke, broke it in front of them. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. They didn't know what he meant, but what a, now we know what he meant. But what a beautiful picture that he's, he showed them with food. He showed them with the bread. This is my body broken for you. He was the bread of life so that we could have life. And then he took the cup and he showed them, this is my blood shed for you. He used those things around the table to show what he was going to do. I just love that he did that. And he said, when you do this, remember me. When you come to the table for any reason, for any meal, when you come to the table, remember God's great mercy. 
remember the love that has been shown. When you come to the table, remember what God has done. Remember what Jesus has done. Remember the forgiveness that you've been given. Because here at the table, at the Lord's table, everyone is welcome. Everyone is welcome. No one is excluded. Oh, you notorious thief, you sinner, you full of shame, you uh, embarrassed and, and upset about your past and your choices, there's a seat for you here. Come and sit and at the Lord's table. Oh, you religious, pious sinner who thinks that it's all about getting to the top and having more, come. Sit beside. Sit beside. Right here. Come and sit. Right here. Sit together at the table. Because at the table, we are equal. At the table, we are equal. There is no one better, no one worse. At the table, we come sinners to receive the mercy of God. Because Jesus has paid for it in the breaking of his body and the shedding of his precious blood. He has said, you are welcome at the table. That's what the table means. That's what the table represents. And I pray that is what our tables mean and represent. You are welcome at the table. Come, come and receive the mercy of God. Come and receive the kindness of Jesus Come and receive. Know that you have value and worth in God's eyes. Know that you are not the measure of your sin, but you are, the, you are who you are by his grace and his mercy. Know that you are not here to judge or be judged. Here you are ready to receive the great love that God has shown. Come and sit. There's a place for you at the table. we're going to participate. It's called communion. We come to the table together. We come to gather at the table. The table is not just about me and my moment with Jesus to say thank you, although that is so important that I come and know that I have a place to say thank you, Jesus, for what you have done. But the table is where we gather together to honor and remember and celebrate what Jesus has done. And we look around and see we are here together because of Jesus. No one better, no one worse, no one excluded. No one excluded. I'm gonna encourage you to I've already shaken up your comfort zones, I know. But we can't, we aren't passing a loaf of bread to break bread together and share it. That's really what they did. Pass, share it. So I'm going to encourage you, maybe you've already opened your communion elements, but I'm going to encourage you to trade it with someone. Look at someone and say, you're welcome at the table. Just even if your family or, or whoever's with you, but... Trade your communion and say, you're welcome at the table. <clears throat> and now you can, let's partake together.
Go ahead. God, I thank you for your great mercy. And in light of your great mercy for us, in light of what you have done, in light of how you have opened the door, you have opened the table, and we have all found a place there. Welcome into your family. Thank you, God, that you came for all of us. No one left out, no one excluded from that. And today, I thank you, Jesus, that you have shown us your way, your way to love our neighbor, your way, and may we walk in your way. I thank you, Jesus, that you would help us, help us, Holy Spirit, not to walk and fulfill our own selfish desires. Help us, Holy Spirit, we need you, I need you to help stretch me beyond my own selfish thinking. Help stretch me beyond to see those around me who are in need. Help me, God, to open my home and my heart and my house and my table to people who need you. Help me, God, not to be not to just pursue my own thing, but Jesus, help me to be pursuing what you were pursuing. Hospitality, love to strangers, love to those in need. Help us, God. Help us to be your church. Help us to be like the early church. Help us to recapture that simplicity of heart, that joy and gladness in gathering around homes and tables and gathering to share a meal with one another. Help us, God, not to complicate it. Let us lay down our excuses. Let us lay down what we think we can't do. And Holy Spirit, show us what we can do. Show us how we can reach beyond our world, our own little bubble into our world. Let us be the hands and feet of Jesus. Let us reach out to show and share your love, God. We don't want it stuck here in this place. We don't want it stuck in our homes. We want it to go out. We want this heart of hospitality to leak out of our lives. Help us to be purposeful. Help us, God, even as we just go into the foyer, help us to go across the room and say hello and to say hi. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. We want to encourage you to let the Holy Spirit sink today's message into your heart to let it transform you and bring new life. If you want to learn more about Koinonia, you can go to kcf.life to get connected. Thank you for being a part of our community. If today's message encouraged you, we would love for you to rate it and review it and share it with a friend. We love you. Let's continue to build God's kingdom together.